HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, road trippers, you have indeed reached Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. But before we can take off on this week's road trip, we need to fill up the tank, which is code for pay the bills, which is code for run the commercials for the folks who are enabling us to go on these agave road trips. So sit back and Chava and I will circle back to you in a second. This episode is brought to you by the wine the world is talking about, Washington Wine. From its one-of-a-kind landscapes to a statewide culture of craft and innovation, Washington is made to make wine. That's why winemakers from around the globe are coming to Washington to set up shop and why 90-point wines are practically falling from the skies. Ready to sip for yourself? August is Washington Wine Month, meaning it's the perfect time to explore some wineries. 1,050 and counting, and try some of today's most exciting wines. The new Map My Washington Wine app makes it easier than ever, too. You can get to know all the wineries, tasting rooms, and vineyards, find nearby events, customize your ultimate wine trip, and more. Download the free Map My Washington Wine app. That's Map My W-A Wine, and get all of Washington wine right in your hand. Washington Wine, this is now. Monsieur de Agua Blanca de Maguey Theater is recorded before an audience that hasn't yet had anything to drink and they are seriously regretting it. Aholotu. Thanks for meeting with us. Oh, it is I. We should be thanking you, Java, and you too, Lou. You, you say you have a way to smooth this over with my will? Right, or anyway, Lou has a way to make sure you continue shipping delicious Monstro de Agua Blanca de Maguey beer. A beer made with 30% of its fermentable sugars coming from the uncooked sap of the agave. Yeah, right. Lou knows how to appease Maya well and keep shipping Monstro de Agua Blanca de Maguey beer to thirsty agave geeks in the USA. Listen. No, I honestly, Java, I think you misinterpreted what I said. But Lou, you said you had a solution. And I do. But if it doesn't mean Monstro de Agua gets to keep making Blanca Maguey beer, how is it? Hang on, hermano. I think the answer just arrived. Hey, Mayowell. Lou, you told me you had a solution to my problem. And now I come here and find 
don't you consort him with that slimy salamander? Well, I do, Myowell. The better angel of my nature suggested to me that everything can be worked out if we all just sit down together and have a calm conversation. She doesn't look like she's interested in a calm conversation, though. Yeah, that's what Devil Lou said might happen. But he also said a bar fight between the god of agave and a water monster could be good for ratings. Uh, did he also mention that Mayawell might bring several hundred of her drunken rabbit children to the fight? Well, Devil Lou sometimes leaves out the details. For the next chapter of Montreux de Agua Blanca de Begay Theater, or get updates online on our website or at monstruodeagua.com. In the meantime, strap yourself in for another episode of Agave Road Trip. I am Lou Bang. I am Chava Periba. And this is Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. Did I mention it was award-winning? Uh, no, you did not, but it's an award-winning podcast indeed. It is. And Chava, I want to welcome you. Welcome you to the golden age of Mezcal. Is... You get that one, Roy? <laughs> the golden age of Mezcal. <laughs> But this is the golden age in Chicago of Mezcal, the golden age in Mexico of Mezcal. Exactly where is your golden age being referred to? Yeah, that's an excellent point. I would have to say it's a golden age of Mezcal in Mexico. In Mexico? Yeah. Why? Okay. So what was not, I mean, I will claim that we used to have a weirder time before because we didn't have access to a lot of good stuff in Mexico. Uh, uh-huh. And now we have more access to it in the cities. But why does that create? Oh, I think you even have more access to it in the rural communities. You know, I think a lot of the producers who today are making beautiful stuff, like for a while, I think they kind of diverted. This is going to be really controversial and we'll probably end up cutting oh, this. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. But I think they diverted and were paying more attention to tourists who expected gusanos and uh, expected barrel-aged when that wasn't tradition in the family. And so some families were doing that for tourists and then keeping the good stuff for themselves. I believe that the guys that were doing that, they're still doing that in places like Matatlan, and they've actually made more of that. They've they've made a bigger operation of uh, wood-aged and gusano-infused mezcales. And mind you, I did have a bottle of a gusano-infused mezcal from Lalo the other day, which was pretty damn good. Uh, but I think those guys, they just became bigger. I, right, which I totally get. But my point is, I think now you're seeing more of these families producing more of that kind of stuff for tourists that's not gusano-laden. That's, And I'm not saying that you can't have a great 
obviously, because we have episodes where I have stated saying this, I'm not saying you can't have a great mezcal that has a gusano, and I'm not saying you can't have a great mezcal that is aged in wood. But what I am saying is I think it was very narrow cast what was available to tourists, 100% Espadine with gusano aged in wood, and there wasn't the same diversity. And I think now... I think now you've got much more diversity because the market is welcoming it. The people, the tourists who once wanted just one very simple note want this diversity. I'm not like, yeah, I, 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 I hadn't, I did not have the chance of traveling in 1985 trying to find mezcal through Mexico. Mm -hmm. But I will claim that maybe what you had more back in the day was ensembles and they were a crazy like we've, we've heard this from a, a bunch of producers before like the, this idea of working with one species and making a bottle of 100% espadine 100% uh, quiche or madre quiche is a rather new approach uh, back in the day it was whatever I had in the field I will go pick it up at the same time and make assemblies so if something exists now that was not available back then it's definitely these bottles that represent just one agave, but I'm sure the ensemblers they had were freaking amazing. Yeah, but yeah, I'm sure they are, they were too. But again, my point is, you had to go into the communities to find them. That stuff was not in Oaxaca Centro. It's still and the stuff that was in Oaxaca Centro was like Benaba in the in a in a bottle the shape of a worm. And, I you know I will claim you to get the good stuff. You still have to go to the communities these days. No, what? Like, where no do, where do absolutely you... not. Well, I the... go to El Destilado. I have the best stuff in the world. There's three places in Guajaca. I can go to Durango. You... I can have the best stuff in the world. I go to Herman's store. What is that called? Something on Florida Street. In La Florida, yeah. Yeah, but, but they, they, those are still limited spaces. Like, you know, Oaxaca, there's two restaurants where I know what, that I can go have, have a good drink. <laughs> okay, that's it? <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I, I know anywhere else. So you've never been to La Jicara? Oh, La Jicara. You've never been to Mezcalito? Oh, oh, Lord. No, La Jicara, they don't... Well, let's not name places and let's not me getting anno annoying about oh, okay, it. Fine. But I know that I have a limited opportunity to have really good stuff in the city of Oaxaca. What I'm trying to say, though, it's... If, if you're thinking that... Because I do get your point. I'm trying to give you a hard time. <laughs> I, I guess what you're trying to say is now you can have access to things that were usually just reserved to the communities... Yes. In places that are directed to some people that are not hardcore enthusiasts of mezcal. And therefore, these people that will before will have just had access to something that was tremendously mediocre, now can have access to great, beautiful stuff without having to spend days in a car busting their, their lives to, well, that, to get. And, so that so that is what I'm saying. But what I'm always like, that's point one, but point two is. I think you can also get into a car and bust your ass and find places that you never would have known you could have found 20 years ago. You can drive for eight hours into Mixteca and find something incredible. And I don't think any tourist would have considered that in the past. And I'll grant you, it's not what the average tourist is thinking about, but it's what I think about. And I think about it, Chava, because, you know, right now, Mezcal is one and a half percent of the market for tequila in the USA. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's growing rapidly. And as it grows, we're seeing all of these lands, these wildlands torn up and replaced 
with Espadine farms, row after row of Espadine farms. Mm. And my point is we're starting to see, I believe, the industrialization of Mescal. I don't think it's going to slow down. I think it's going to speed up. But in very specific places, though. Yes. And again, one of, one is, one, one is, what is one of the biggest missions of a Gabe road trip to explain that Mexico is not a country, it is a continent. <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> and this industrialization you're speaking about, it's happening mostly and specifically in Oaxaca. But then you have these all, and, and really, other, and really even just five communities in Oaxaca. Exactly. So then you have these other vast pieces of land around Mexico right. where, where you, like I was just having this conversation with a, with a researcher that is doing one of the biggest projects uh, related to agave right now, having like having moments in Mexico or like th- that they're doing currently that. And she was explaining that they've come up with a plan in which if communities plant 100% of a, a certain number of 100% of agaves, they can use 70% of those agaves every year sustainably without damaging the ecosystem. Well, maybe. Well, like, come on. Like, I, I, I don't want to play games if I know more than 200 biologists. Oh, so, I totally uh, want to play that game. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, well, what you're talking about is changing from wild-grown to, to at least semi-cultivated. Which is yeah, going well, uh, to change well, 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 the flavor in, in the, and the context. Th- that is why I wanted to bring this example, this specific example. They're working in a biosphere reserve. Yeah, uh, that's one of our favorite places in Puebla. Yes, it's UNESCO protected. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you cannot <laughs> have fields of planted agave there. I wonder if UNESCO has any idea I'm going there. Because I suspect UNESCO would have no idea how to protect <laughs> anything from me. I I think they are more devious than you will think. Oh, Uh, (laughs) I will totally take on UNESCO in a contest of deviousness. They're they're dark kids. But anyway, they they, they cannot have fields of agave there. They need to plant them as if they were wild. Well... They they have to plant them in little patches. They have to throw them here and there. Yeah, Chava. In order to do that, they have to start from seed, which means they've got a nursery. they do. That's my point. They from, and that doesn't happen in the wild. It's going to be different. Oh, come on. I, and now, okay, so I guess the question here is, what, what is true? <laughs> this, this is an ontology uh, question. <laughs> the, what, what, what makes a true wild agave? What, what is the moment in the life or the, what, what really makes a wild agave taste like a wild agave? Oh, I have no idea. But I would say that it's going to be different. I'm not saying worse, but it's different. If you nurture that little seed in that beautiful protected nursery, if you nurse, if you if you nurture it from a tiny little baby seed into a seedling, let it get strong enough before you replant it. That's significantly different than this 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 whole seed pod just burst out from a windstorm and scattered itself. And only 5% of the seeds actually made it. Big difference. But does that translate in anything? Like, we don't know if that translates in flavor in any capacity. Do we know that? No. I mean, I, I think mean, you and it's, I it's, both it's, have. Okay, so let's talk about the La Luna expression. Like, they're, they're Cupriata versus they're Chino. They're farmed versus they're wild. And it's both. they're both yeah. Cupriata. There's a difference in flavor. But what I'm saying here is this is, this is a whole different thing because they are 
semi-wild, semi-cultivated. They, they are they ha- they are having the lifestyle of a wild agave after year two. God, you know, I can't tell, Chava. I can't tell if you are saying that we're in the Bronze Age of mezcal or if you say the Golden Age is yet to come. I can't tell what your argument is. I, I think right now, a lot of the producers are catering, like, and this is my my perception. I, I think right now we are in a moment of, uh, of transition where I think a lot of the producers are making, they're making stuff to keep their clientele, the so-called either geeks or enthusiasts of mezcal, around them, mm-hmm. and I think they are. Take it, they're not taking enough chances sometimes in the things that they they, they think are they're fortunate. They're doing <laughs> oh, like I, I Java. Think, I, I am I, throwing I, a flag on your play. I, 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 so I, I would I, say I, that I you what? are a hundred percent right for some of them. Yes, but I, even I would argue not most of them. I will say I see too many pechugas in the market for that <laughs> argument not to be real. <laughs> well, but you're saying in the market, and my point is. My point is, I believe that, like, we we both, we actually agree on one thing here, and that is that this is a market that is in transition. Yes, and I, and I, and I, and just to finish the wild agave discussion, I think the way <laughs> we name, we name agaves, like what we call a wild agave, what we call a farmed agave, what, what kind of agaves, it's not only that it comes from a seed, it's what, what is the genetic diversity in that seed, because it can be a seed that doesn't hold a lot of genetic diversity, and therefore it's not that interesting. Uh, so I think we we're still building the vocabulary, and we're still identifying what are the aspects of certain parts of of, of mezcal that really bring value to the final product. Fine, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I do, but I, like <laughs> I'm so not interested in that conversation right now. Ah. This episode of Agave Road Trip is brought to you in part by Sacred. Sacred is a USA-based 501c3 not-for-profit that improves quality of life in the rural Mexican communities where heritage agave spirits are made. Since incorporating in 2017 with support from donors just like you, we've been able to provide more than 32,000 Tobala agave seedlings to families in Oaxaca who are finding it harder and harder to access the plants that enable them to carry on their cultural traditions. We've helped to build libraries to support literacy and rain harvest systems to mitigate water insecurity. When the pandemic interrupted tourist dollars in Oaxaca, We helped bring food to more than 500 families. And when the earthquakes hit in 2017, we helped rebuild the damaged home of a mescalero. All of that, mind you, was possible because of the support of agave enthusiasts like you, people who drink mezcal, tequila, ricea, bacanora, and other destilados de agave, people who want to support the families who have been stewards of this cultural heritage for multiple generations, hundreds of years, people like you who recognize the value of this different approach to the world, this approach that we believe can offer different solutions to the problems that we face globally. If you're one of those people, if you're one of our people, please join us at Sacred. We've just launched a campaign to help build three nurseries and greenhouses in rural Jalisco. These projects will grow from seed four varieties of agave, and three varieties of trees, all of which are at risk of extinction as a result of the explosive growth of tequila 
and the introduction of a denomination of origin for Rysia. If you want to help us preserve agave spirit, if you want to help us preserve rural Mexico, please visit sacred.mx. At sacred.mx, you can learn about our replanting Jalisco program and other programs. If you believe in what we are doing, I hope you'll join by making a tax-deductible donation. Visit sacred.mx and join your fellow agave enthusiasts by making a tax-deductible contribution. That's sacred.mx. I want to get back to, are we in a golden age of mezcal? And I really believe- No, we're not. And I really believe we are. And I believe we are because you can fly down to Mexico City, rent a car, and you can drive four hours into Puebla, and you can meet somebody who is not catering to a tourist market because tourists aren't going there. You can yeah. stop and get pulque latinical on the way so that you have a very fun, if somewhat dangerous drive. <laughs> and then you go the rest of the three hours and you're finding all of these beautiful makers who don't see tourists show up at their place, who are making things just for themselves and their community, and you can buy it at relatively inexpensive prices to bring back home. And I think that's going to disappear fairly soon as we see the industrialization encroach on Mezcal. We're already seeing it in five communities in Oaxaca, and we're starting to see some of these producers moving production up to Puebla. And I think it's slowly going to disappear. If you love mezcal or if you love destilado de agave or agave spirits, get on a plane. If you've been vaccinated, <laughs> get on a plane. Go right now and, and buy stuff and bring it back. And we've got a whole episode on how much you can bring back and how you do that. Because it's going to disappear. You know why I fully fundamentally disagree with you? Sugar cane. Because that's, that's part of the <laughs> motif of our, our uh, podcast. But Yeah, yeah, but, but sugar cane. How many years have people been industrially been making alcohol out of sugar cane? I would say probably hundreds. Correct. No, at least a hundred years. Okay. And in, Me in Mexico too. In oh, Michoacan see, now well. I've got to flag you on that play. Because like, nobody's buying Mexican rum. You've got basically three, I think, brands on the market here, and that's it. Now, once people start buying Mexican rum, which incidentally is three times the price, and, and it should be, because right, it's made using pre-industrial methods. But, 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 but we also have really cheap uh, sugarcane spirits here, not rum. But like aguardientes and stuff, like that's yeah. what the that's what the drunk guy in the street drinks. <laughs> Are you having problems with your mic, Lou? I am. Uh, uh, that's we have like under a dollar a liter sugarcane spirits available in Mexico City. What I'm yeah. saying is like the fact that something gets industrialized doesn't kill the small makers. Oh, that, I, 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 I say it doesn't have to kill the small makers, but I would say it tends to, or it tends to pull those small makers into the industrial process. Because you're just, you're like, I would just argue that you're wrong, that the vast majority of the world, if, if they understood Mexican rum would be drinking more Mexican rum, which would create a bigger industry of rum in Mexico, which would bring more of these people into that fold, which would cause all these beautiful little aguardiente expressions to disappear my no, point okay. being my no. point being uh. i don't think i don't think we're going to see beautiful handmade agave spirits disappear 
from Earth. I don't think the Lalos of the world, the uh, the Victor Ramoses of the world, I don't think they're going to disappear. But my point is, there will be fewer and fewer and fewer of them, and eventually they're going to age out. And right now, or or God, God, please, please, God, let them become the admired artisans that they are. And suddenly, if you want to buy a liter from them, instead of paying 600 pesos, you have to pay $600. And then, and then there's more. It's like the art market. If you have enough collectors, you have enough, enough galleries, mm-hmm. then you have more artists. So I think, and the fact that there's industrial products that they're not competing with the art. You know, you, you go to Sarah Home and you buy a piece of art for your wall and you understand that it's not the same thing you're buying in a gallery. So I think that if there's a market for these artists that are also artisans that are making extremely specialized spirits, if that market grows more and more, they're in a completely different have league you, than industrialized stuff. You've, you've been to my house, right? Yes, I have. Yeah, you know, I just, all that art on my wall, it's just literally images I took off of the internet and I, like, I printed out on, you know, using a color printer. Yeah, you were, in, were, you were not infringing copyright, actually. But it was no, because everybody was dead. But my point is, my point is, your assumption that that there, are, like that everybody understands the difference between the two is a false assumption, and and that everybody cares about the difference between the two is a false assumption, particularly in a culture that's consuming cocktails. Well, I'm just saying that if you're paying twenty five dollars for a piece. Of you know of what painting. you know what you know what Java here let <laughs> me put a fine point out okay. I can put a okay, fine okay. point out it for you <laughs> you may be right you may be correct that you can in a hundred years from now you can fly down to Mexico jump in a car drive three hours and find the exact same beautiful spirits for twenty bucks a liter but you may be wrong and if somebody <laughs> wants to hedge their bets. They should be jumping on that plane right now because okay. I think the safe bet is go and get it because it's not going to last forever. It's not going to last forever at, the, at those prices. Thank the Lord. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. If we do our job right, it won't last exactly. forever at those prices. Is that good? Can we wrap this? Yeah, let's wrap it. Okay. Hecho. Hasta pronto. Adios, Lou. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lou Bank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. A Gabby Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. A Gabby Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Eat responsibly too. And listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.